Well, this morning, I'm doing um, Matthew chapter 18. And um, I like to do sections of scripture. I don't know. It, uh, and that's what we did in Sunday school. And, but I like to do that, be, you know, to try and look at what is being presented and, and what goes into the text and, you know, things like that. I've entitled my um, message this morning, Hunt for Treasure. <laughs> hunting, hunting for treasure, maybe that's a better one. But uh, a treasure is a quantity of precious metals, gems, and diamonds. So are we talking about the Bering Sea gold? <laughs> That was one of those shows. Uh, then there's, uh, what is, um, what is the, well, I was asking the question um, of how that, what, are, what would you consider to be a great treasure? If you were searching for treasures, we were one place, you know, there are, there are people who have these GPS systems where it's latitude, longitude, and you go and find something that is there, and then you, you know, find the object that was hidden there, and then you pick it up and you go put it someplace else, and, and you put that on the search, and other people join in, and they go to these locations and search for these hidden treasures. And generally, they're just s small tokens of something that people have nothing better to do with their time, and they wander around following their GPS system. You know, <laughs> uh, yesterday we were driving by one of the um, strip malls down by what used to be uh, Value City, and uh, this guy walks out from behind a truck. He just, he was oblivious to the fact that we were right there. I mean, he, he was so focused, on, I almost blew the horn, but he probably would have threw his phone at me. But, uh, you know, people are just oblivious to what's going on around them. So what are the treasures? What are you looking for? Um, how about the uh, fountain of youth? Uh, I like the ones where these people have invested their entire lives on looking for shipwrecks of the, the pirate time, you know, and uh, trying to discover the, the lost treasures that are scattered across the sea. So um, we, we look at these things and we say, okay, well, what is a treasure? Well, the Bible says that what does it profit a man if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? And what will a man give in exchange for his soul? So when we start talking about treasure and we start thinking about what, it, what are the greatest gifts and the greatest possessions that we can have in life is basically our relationship with Jesus Christ. It is that that foundational experience with Christ is the greatest treasure. There is nothing greater. I mean, you can gain the whole world, but if Christ is not in your heart and life, you're lost. And it's all going to end someday, so we start out with Christ and we build upon the treasures and, the, um, and what God is wanting to do in our lives. In Matthew chapter 18, verse 12, he, it starts off with, what do you think? Okay, what do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one wanders away from the rest, what do you think? Okay, so you just kind of look at that, you read it, okay, you got a hundred sheep, one wanders off, what do you think he's going to do? Well, it depends on the value. You know, the sheep is always causing you trouble. Good, glad it wandered off. You know, teach it a lesson. Maybe it'll get eaten by a bear or something, you know. So, so what value is the one sheep? What is it worth? And how much effort is it going to take to find it? You know, we had, if, if you ever want to have an experience, 
you should get a, a, a young, well, not a young, about a year old calf, cow, whatever, and they are just wild. You know, they will break through fences and never know the fence was there. And you can chase them for days and still never get them close. And, and so it, it's just one of those things, you know. For me, when we were a kid chasing that thing for about six hours, I thought I could shoot it. Yeah, what's that? Yeah, you know, just, just we'll fix that thing. I'll teach it a lesson. We'll eat it. <laughs> so, but we find uh, what is the treasure. My dad wouldn't let us do it. So anyhow, uh, the guy with the flock of sheep uh, is considered to be a shepherd. And this group under his guidance, this flock, um, socially, this shepherd, you now it's like, well, okay, what is, what is the status of the person who is going to be thinking about going after this one sheep? Well, he is, his status in the society is one, he's a lower class individual. He's a shepherd. Where does he live? He doesn't have a house or a t- he has a tent somewhere out in the wilderness and he's always wandering around. He doesn't have an address. <laughs> Wherever the sheep are eating, that's where he's living. You know, I remember when we were in Israel, the bus stopped by one of the, it's like a Bedouin tent. You see, maybe seen them on television or whatever. He's got this, just a big, dark, black tent. And there was three of them, three tents. Well, there's, you know, you think, oh, that's three, three guys and their wives. No, it's one guy and three wives. <laughs> you never have the same wife. You never have two wives in one tent. It doesn't work for some reason. So anyhow, the kids come running out from the, the tents, the the, the adults didn't come out, but they come out to the road. And the first thing you smelt was sheep. I mean, these kids come running up, and it's like, wow, it's like petting a sheep. <laughs> they, you know, they, because they lived with the sheep, you know, it was part of their life, and guess what? They never took a bath. Why would you waste water in a desert? So whenever they, uh, you always love how they do dishes in the sand. <laughs> so whenever your mom wants you to do dishes, get out in the sandbox, just clean them off and bring them back in. Yeah. Well, you see, you know, so they have a whole different perspective of water. You know, they don't have rivers like, you know, there's nothing like that. And so it's, it's a desert, society, desert climate. The sheep they live in, the place they live, the sheep, you know, it's like they live in a barn. No, the sheep live in a tent. <laughs> And, of course, if you've got a young sheep, well, you've got your favorite lamb, you bring it in. So we find that animals have, each of the animals have a value and they re- represent kind of the wealth and the care uh, of, of this guy who is taking care of them. Verse 2, the shepherd, will he not leave the 99? So what was the question? What do you think? you got 99, one's missing. What do you think is going to happen? Verse, it goes on to say, won't he... Will he not leave the ninety and nine on the hillside and set out to look for the one who has wandered away? Won't he? It is a common practice that he would leave the ninety-nine, not just abandon them, but perhaps leave them with a herder that is working with him or somebody else that is near, and, and he'll just leave, he'll leave the sheep because if he just abandons them, there'll be a few more missing when he gets back. So whenever we look at that, he is... Uh, uh, that he is obligated, he is attached to the sheep. You know, if you live with the animal, <laughs> and the animal has those attachments, and some of them are greater attachments than others. Um, 
some of them you wish would wander off. And so you find the, you know, my mom, she, ma- she named all the cows. My, our, all our cows had names. They were all black and white. You know, they all have, it's like, mom, how do you know that one's the, that one? So, yeah, I, you know, I, but they all knew where their, they all knew where their stalls were. They would come in and there we had, what, I don't know, 36 stanchions or something, and every one of them went into their own stanchion. You know, they knew where to go. And the boss cow would run in and go to the least cow, the cow that was the bottom of the pecking order, and gobble up as much of their feet as they could before you drove them out, <laughs> and then go run, then would go back and get in its stall. You know, <laughs> they, they're no dumb animals. And my mom, she would know them, she would call them by name and all that stuff, and I just milked them and let them go. So we know that because the shepherds felt an obligation, you know, like David, the, you know, the boy, when he was a boy, he was the shepherd. He killed the lion and the bear. Okay, let's go take care of the sheep. You got a slingshot and a rock. Let's kill the lion. Sorry, you can eat that one. <laughs> Not David. David killed the lion and the bear because he was obligated as a shepherd to take care of that one animal. So you see, when, when Jesus is telling this story, it's, it's, a very familiar, it's a familiar story to a, an agricultural society that has lots of shepherds on the hillsides and things. And, and you know, so they knew what a shepherd would do and what he was like and what his responsibilities were. So, so it, it's same uh, uh, that sometimes the, sh- the sheep would be, you know, shepherds would be two or three shepherds in an area and they'd have a pen that all the sheep would go in. Well, in the morning, the shepherd would call the sheep and his sheep would come out of the pen. Not somebody else's sheep, just the sheep that recognized his voice. Jesus says, my sheep know my voice. So you see, these were parallels that a society would understand, that sheep were, were important and that if there were 99, or there were 100, and one was lost, the shepherd was obligated, because of who he is as a shepherd, to take care of all of his sheep, even if it's just one. The text. So what do you think? Won't he leave the 99 on the hillside and set out to look for the one who has wandered away? Won't he? So the expectation is, this is what he's going to do, because he's a shepherd. Verse 13, yes, and if he should chance, now he doesn't know where the sheep is, it's wandered off. If he knew it was wandering off, he wouldn't have got it before it got too far away. So, and, and sheep have a tendency to wander. <laughs> it's like cats. They wander off. Where's the cat? Don't know, don't care, it's wandered off. <laughs> So, by chance, they could find the, the, the you know, the, uh, the lamb. You know, and again, with me and cattle, you know, if, if one of them got out in, in the night, and where'd it go? You haven't a clue where it's at. Hopefully a neighbor will call and say, is your cow out? <laughs> and no, shoot it. No. <laughs> so, anyhow, if you should, by chance, find it, I assure you, he is more delighted over the one that... He, that he's more delighted over that one than 
He is over the 99 who never wander away. Now, if you would think, well, is that, is that right? Well, if you lose something, you know, Jesus used the story of the, the coins, you have, say, 10 coins and you lose one and you find the one that, sh- that was lost, you're excited about it. It isn't that you don't have excitement over the nine. The nine are important. So it isn't that you abandon. It's like you celebrate the victories of each child. <laughs> it's not because one is better than the other. Well, this is what has happened. So you celebrate that. Then this is what happened here. So you celebrate that. Well, Jesus is saying that God and the heavens rejoice over the one that is found. So if you can understand, text says, if you can understand then that it is never the will of your Father in heaven that a single one of these little ones should be lost. God never intends for his sheep, lambs, to wander off. God's purpose is not for us to fall away from the flock. So this story then parallels lost people, lost souls, Jesus is searching for the lost. Jesus knows when a person is walking away in their faith. You know, we don't lose faith. We leave it behind. (laughs) You know, you leave your faith. You abandon faith. God, faith doesn't abandon us. God never abandons us. So people um, form other relationships. They decline in their relationship with God. Instead, we find that God goes after the wayward one. God is always searching for the one that is lost. So this is, we talked about this in the Sunday school lesson. When, when people ask Christ into their life, we have to have faith. Where does that faith come from? You know, it's like, okay, I have to have enough faith to believe that God can forgive me of my sins. No, the Holy Spirit quickens our soul, quickens us, And it's like he's prompting us. And he is saying to us, I want you to believe. And here is enough faith for you to receive what I am presenting to you. (laughs) God is supplying us the faith to believe that we can be forgiven. We don't have to search for it. We have an understanding of forgiveness. And we ask for forgiveness. And God is the one who is supplying the faith for it to happen. And so the Bible says, if any of you lack faith, so in our continual growth with God, God is continually saying to us, here's faith, but here's also what I would like you to do. Here is the perception, here is the, per- the, the, the of what your, the will of God is. Um, I used the illustration this morning was that if you have um, a person is going to the North Pole, they, you know, they're going to trek there with skates or <laughs> skis or whatever, um, they will fly in supply stations. <laughs> and so as they're traveling, they will arrive at a supply station. Well, God has provided us, God has foreordained blessings or things for us to, that we need where we are at on our journey, and so that when we get there, we have faith to believe that there are supplies ahead <laughs> because God has promised that they are ahead. So we keep going. Now, if you were people <laughs> a long time ago would trek to the, to the North Pole and they were, didn't have those supply stations and many of them died because they ran out of supplies. For us, God has put these supply stations in place so that when we arrive there, his, his presence, his blessings and things are already there. So 
You can, not, you can understand then that it is never the will of your father that a single one of the little ones should be lost. Now, looking for the lost, the treasure. I was wondering how I was, I, I found this section and I was going to, I didn't know how, I was going to build a sermon around it and I didn't think I wanted to do that. And, but I, I found how it could fit in this message today and it's Revelation 13, 6, 16. He causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive the mark on their right hand and on their foreheads. This is the time of the, this particular scripture is talking about the Antichrist and a time out in our future in which the church will be gone. The trump of God will sound, the dead in Christ, we which are alive, will be caught up to meet Christ in the air. So there is a time in our near future that Jesus Christ is going to return. But you see, looking for the lost, the treasure, is that we have found an urgency to present Jesus Christ to other people. And that in the presentation, we are giving our testimony. Our testimony is what God has done for us. This is what God has done for me. So people can argue theology, they can argue these things, but they... When I talk about this is my experience, okay, we ha- you know, there's no argument. This is what I know. So, you know, no, this is what I know. <laughs> so when we are talking about our experience with Christ, it is that we are allowing us, allowing ourselves to present the message in which the Holy Spirit can create the unction for them to come to believe because we know our time is short in our future, to the return of Jesus Christ. Now, this text has evolved over the years, and I think that's a good word, evolved, (laughs) for this one, Um, because of the meaning that we find in science and in modern technology. You know, 50 years ago, we were saying, Mark of the Beast. I remember remember when I was in high school, we um, we went to Kennywood Park in Pittsburgh, and there was this big fuss at the gate, you know, when you pay to get in, they were putting the stamps on, your finger, on the back of your hand. And there was a church group came in, would not allow them to stamp their hand because that was the mark of the beast. <laughs> okay? So it's like, you know, it's not the mark of the beast. But the, the idea is that in that time period, people will have to have a mark or something in their hands to identify them, and that's how they do their business. It's your cre- personal credit card you carry with us. Nobody can have it unless you, they cut off your hand and put it on, you know, wait a minute, I get my, this guy, I killed him, you know, and here's his hand. Let me be, let him pay for the bill. <laughs> I know I watch too much TV. So it's the COVID. But, uh, but the idea is, um, you know, I have, I have admired the smart watch for a long time. So I decided I would buy one and take an IQ test. Didn't help a bit. <laughs> That's a little joke there. <laughs> I'd throw it in. <laughs> Very little. But anyhow, look at the smartwatch. The smartwatch, and, not, and there's nothing wrong with the smartwatch, okay? But it will, it will tell you your blood pressure, temperature, steps. I mean, it can do all kinds of things. Well, they have come up with... Um, The engineers at Columbia University School of Engineering and applied scientists have created an injectable chip that can be inserted under your skin 
to monitor your temperature, blood pressure, glucose, and other things. And it is basically a speck (laughs) in your skin. Now, is it wrong for that to happen? No. But what's going to happen in the future with a world government that wants to control everything, they will control your buying and selling and, you know, the whole works. And the challenge for us in this whole idea of treasure is that we treasure the lost soul because the time in the future, you think, well, you need to get saved before you die. <laughs> yeah, so I got, a t- I got some time. Well, you don't know that, but now we're looking at how that we're closing in on what we perceive to be the end times. And that the end times, it's nothing to be afraid of. It's to be, wow, we're going we're gonna to go to heaven pretty soon. So let's, let's get ready. Let's get ourselves ready. Let's you know, pr- present the gospel to as many people as we can so that they can be ready for the return of Jesus Christ. And our challenge is to understand the treasure, the lost sheep, people who have wandered away. We spoke of it in the Sunday school. Salvation is restoration, restoring us to the place that we were without sin. So whenever Christ has saved us, he washes us of our sin, and he created me a clean heart, O God. Renew a right spirit in me. So we change how we view life. We change how we view the importance of life. We change what is of value. So technology is isn't evil, okay? These things are not evil. But what they are doing is presenting to us how that the scriptures can be fulfilled in a very easy way today. (laughs) You know, used to think about, uh, we used to think about this in in, in school. Um, Well, there's the the part in Revelation talks about the two witnesses you know, and, and they are killed in Jerusalem and their bodies lay in the streets and everybody in the world watches it. Well, when I was a kid, how's that going to happen? <laughs> you know, how are those things going to take place? Well, now all you got to do is use a cell phone. Everybody can send it around the world. But back 50 years ago, we believed this would happen, just didn't know how. Well, now we put all these things in place and so the treasure is for us to, for us, we need to perceive the blessings that God has in store for us, and how that the, the power of God that works in us for salvation, saving us from our sins, and keeping us separated, separated from sin, not separated from the world. That was always a misperception again when I was a kid. You weren't allowed to, you knew all the things you couldn't do. You couldn't do this, you couldn't do that, and you couldn't go there. It was just, that was just that simple, you know. And, and so it isn't what you can't do, It's what we can do in our receiving of Christ into our lives. And this makes everything different because we are a new creation in Christ. Well, back to Matthew 18, verse 15. But if your brother wrongs you, so this is where we see, okay, the value of the sheep, that the shepherd will look for it, and when he finds it, he will rejoice. Next verse. But if your brother wrongs you, so what happens if the sheep who is lost 
is someone who has wronged you, what are you going to do with them? Fall off the cliff. Not you, Cliff. But fall, (laughs) you know, take a run and jump. (laughs) No. If your brother wrongs you, go, go and have it out with him. I like that one. Go have it out with him. No. Don't fight it out. Have it out. Talk about it. You know, just the two of you. So what we're looking at here is you're not trying to shame. You're not trying to defeat. You're not trying to win. You're not trying to put people in their place. You're trying to establish a relationship where they can come back into the flock. And Jesus, whenever he's talking about this, the lost sheep, now he's telling us if somebody has offended you, go to them. The second part here is if they have offended you and you go to them and they, st- they don't listen, take two other people with you. Then you can beat them up really good. No. That you can, you can, everybody can know what's going on. You perhaps can reason it out. And then <laughs> he says, if the two of you don't work, bring it to the whole congregation. See, what was going on is there was a situation that um, somebody was someone in the church was being immoral with, I believe it was with their stepmother, and uh, living together as husband and wife, and it was stepmother and all this, and I I don't know, I should have looked it up, but I'm sorry I didn't, but anyhow, there was one of these situations, so what they were doing was they were coming to church as if nothing was wrong, and Paul's telling them, you can't do this, you're living in sin, you got to change your ways, or, you know, so you go to them privately, you know, the Bible says, you change your ways, nope, Two or three go, you got to change your ways. Nope. Whole congregation, no, we're not going to do it. Goodbye. Now, it would seem harsh, but what is going on is they are being separated from the church because they are separated from God. And the whole act is redemption. Because if we placate, which goes on in, in, our, in many churches today, that when you placate, you allow people, you know, anything goes, just come in and do your thing, but they're not going to make it to heaven because the trump of God is going to sound and they're in their sin and God is saying, you've got to understand how much is going on here with your life and your soul by the way you live. So then, he moves on to the next section. Uh, Verse 18, and this is, the, this is the interesting one, because believe me, whatever you forbid on earth, whatever you come, okay, now that you've been with someone and you've talked to them and all that, now I want you to pray. Hmm. Understand the power of your prayers. Because you are going to not only confront them, you're going to talk to them privately. You're not trying to shame them. You're trying to give them the truth. And after all of that, I want you to come together and I want you to pray. For whatever you forbid upon the earth will be what is forbidden in heaven, and whatever you permit on earth will be permitted in heaven. Binding and loosing. What is done in your prayers for binding and loosing on the spiritual part, aspect of someone's life, God says, I'll answer it. Because there is great power in your prayer. So, and I tell you once more that if you two on earth agree in asking for anything, it will be granted 
to you by my heavenly Father. So it's like you've come together. Someone is lost. Now we come together and we pray for them. That we join our hearts and we join our prayers in agreement that, that whatever is influencing their life, whatever is going wrong in their life that causes them to wander off from the flock, we want to bind, agree, set free the Spirit of God. We pray together. And see, that's the value of your prayers and having someone, can you pray with me? Can, you, can we talk about this and can we pray about it? So what we are doing is recognizing the authority that is in you and I and in our prayers. He says, whatever, <laughs> that's a pretty big statement, and I tell you that once more that if two of you on earth agree in asking for anything, it will be granted to you by my Father in heaven. Or whatever two or three people come together in my name, I am there in the midst of them or right among you. So we find that it's not in the quantity. It's in how that we come together around the word. <laughs> See, I, I'm, well, I, I like to teach the scriptures and I like to, you know, do these types of things. And, you know, Wednesday night we do scriptures, the Bible, things like that. Why? Because it's so important for us to understand the word. And as we gather ourselves around the word and we pray, it has great power. <laughs> now, so we've got the sheep wandered off. We've got the, the, the person, there may be trouble with them. They, 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 you know, there's a disagreement, how we bring them back, how that we come together and pray. And then Peter approached him with a question, Master, how many times should I forgive my brother? Now it comes back to the person and how they feel about being wronged. See, this is the challenge for us as we find the treasure. How do you feel about being wronged? Well, you know, what do you think? Peter says, well, we can forgive up to seven times. And that was really a big thing because in, in, the, in the culture that of the time, three was the, kind of the maximum because after three times, they're not really serious about being forgiven. You know, they're not really serious about changing their mind. And Jesus says, how about 70 times seven? <laughs> Remember the part of the Lord's Prayer, forgive us as we have forgiven those? So you see, there's no limit on this. And so what we're seeing is God who is searching for the lost sheep is not counting how many times they've wandered off. And he's looking at that how much power and influence we have as a follower of Jesus. And then he uses the illustration. Here's the king. He has this guy who is indebted to him for $100,000. And one, one translated had a million days of wages. That's how much he was indebted to him. So there's no way on earth this guy is going to live long enough to pay this guy back, the king. So he comes into the king. He, the king's going to throw him in prison. He begs and begs and begs. The king says, okay, I'll forgive you. So he owes $100,000. The king wipes it away. He walks out of the palace away from the king, and he has just been forgiven $100,000, and he finds somebody who owes him 10 bucks. <laughs> so what does he do with the guy who owes him 10 bucks? He takes him by the throat. He beats him up and throws him in prison. Wait a minute. 
You, got, you were forgiven 100000 and you're trying to kill a guy who owes you 10 bucks. What is going on? What is the attitude of the heart towards what you have, been re- what you have received? <laughs> so you see what happened? Well, King says, found out about the guy. He said, you wicked guy. I forgave you 100000 and you're going to kill somebody for 10 bucks." I'm going to put you in prison and forget about it because you'll never be able to pay me back. The wages of sin is death and it's eternal separation from God and people can never pay that debt. Hmm. So you see, we find the whole scheme of things in these few verses from wandering sheep that the shepherd, will he go look? The answer is yes because the shepherd doesn't want to lose one sheep. Jesus does not want to lose one soul. And we see the whole value, and after we've been changed and we've been rescued and we're part of the body of Christ, and he's looking at what is your heart and how have you received and how have you forgiven those who have offended you and those who owe you great debt, what have you done with them? Forgive them and let it go. This, this verse is, you know, What is the treasure that we are looking for? And it's the treasure of love and forgiveness, the blessing and the presence of God in our hearts and our lives. That's the center of who we are. And the center of God is grace and mercy, forgiveness and love, strength and power. The power of God is demonstrated in the resurrection of Jesus Christ his ascension. And in us, that power is demonstrated by the Holy Spirit living in us. Jesus, we thank you that you know our hearts and lives and we pray that your scripture, the word that is spoken to us by by the Holy Spirit and by these prophets that Paul himself has written to the church, I pray that you help us to write these things in our hearts and our minds. And it changes us from the inside out that we might be a holy vessel fit for the master's use, doing that which you have placed in our hands and doing it with with purpose and, and, and power and might. We pray in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Go fish. Nope, go hunt sheep.